So what was, um, as the war is coming to a close and the Russians are advancing on, on Budapest, what was Wallenberg trying to accomplish with the Russians? He went to the Russians as they were coming to conquer the city. What was he trying to accomplish with the Russians? If he seems quite naive going to try. He, he was moving eastwards in Budapest to be the first to uh, receive the Russian troops coming from the east. And of course, now afterwards, we can think that that was kind of naive to think that he could uh, collaborate with the Russians. But that was his purpose. He wanted to collaborate with the Russians to save the the, the central ghetto of Budapest with uh, over 100,000 Jews, which was during these days when the Russians came, really threatened by uh, the arrow crossers and the, the Germans. So, um, but the background to this is, of course, that the Swedish uh, diplomats present in Budapest had no, no idea that the, the, the relationship between Russia and the United States, between the Soviet Union and the United States, had worsened so much as it had, that Stalin, after these separate, nice, separate peace negotiations between the, the, the West allies and the United States, had started, you could say, started the Cold War already. That was the feelings. So uh, Raoul Wallenberg regarded the Russian troops as allies, as the allies of the United States. So, uh, and also the other Swedish diplomats were counting the days until the Russians would come and, and, save, and uh, save the Jews and uh, uh, really, what do you say, to, to free the occupied uh, Hungary. So he was attempting to do what? He was attempting to... Just collaborate. Make, he, collaborate he, with such contact with the Russian troops and the, the Russian general Malinovsky to be able to save the, in the central ghetto of Budapest. Um, that was the first mission. And then he also wanted to, a collaboration to build up Hungary after the war. He had a huge plan for that, that he also presented for the Russians. And, and so what happens now? He goes to the Russians, and is that where we lose track of him for, for, for a time, or he comes back to Budapest, or is that when the Russians imprison him, when he goes out to meet them? No, no not directly. Uh, a few days later, there is an arrest uh, formulated in Moscow and sent to the, the Budapest troops. Uh, so in the beginning, he is received uh, uh, in a nice way. Uh, and he is also, of course, let back. He, they let him go back to Budapest to get his things. Because what he first of all has demanded is that he wanted to see the, the, the General Malinowski, who is at the time in Debrecen in the eastern part of Hungary. And he wanted to see him to present his plans. And it has to go to be a, a quick decision to take him there. So uh, they let him, uh, they, I guess they just let him understand that they would take him to Malinowski and he returned to 
his uh, offices in Budapest and met his uh, collaborators and said goodbye, I'm going to, to Debrecen to meet with Malinowski. So at what time uh, Raoul Wallenberg understood that he in fact was under arrest and taken to Moscow? We don't know. During the train trip to, to Moscow, he was in a very nice part of the, the train, first class. He had a good, good meals. They stepped out and went to restaurants and they walked through Moscow to the Lubyanka prison. So in the worst case, maybe it was not until the doors shut behind him that he understood that this is not going well. And this is still before the liberation of Budapest, where you have, as you mentioned before, the central ghetto. And then you have thousands of Jews hiding in the apartments that Wallenberg and his team had set up with their protective passes. This is all happening before liberation? Uh, This is, uh, we are talking about January, in the middle of January 1945. So Budapest is still a place uh, very much in the middle of war. Uh, Raoul Wallenberg ended up in Moscow the 6th of uh, February 1945. So uh, that's that's when we lose track of him. And, And what has your research uncovered in terms of why the Russians imprisoned him and why did they deny everything? What, what's, what did your research uncover in terms of the story behind the story? His destiny there is so tragic. Uh, and it's a huge question. <laughs> I normally say that I'm not surprised that they arrested him. After all, you had this Swedish diplomat. Uh, I, as I told you about the, these Cold War feelings going on in Moscow, you had a diplomat with an American mission that was suspicious. You had a diplomat whose relatives had been active in those separate peace negotiations that Stalin was so angry about. Another suspicion, he bore the same name as Marcus and Jacob Wallenberg, who were messengers between the the the. the, the the Germans, uh, the, uh, the Germans and the, the Western allies here. And uh, you also had the fact that uh, his relatives were those cap- capitalists. Wallenberg was part of a capitalist family, and that was not good, for, of course, for his situation. And then you had his behavior in Budapest. Of course, he had contacts with Eichmann, with Nazis, with the arrow crossers. They regarded him as a spy. We don't know why they arrested him. All we know is that uh, he, uh, what he told his uh, co-prisoners when he came back from the first interrogation, then they had told him that they knew he was a member of a capitalist family, one, two, that he was a spy, two. So uh, um, that's that's the background for the, the arrest. My... Uh, biggest question and that I still don't have an answer to is why he wasn't set free. So, uh, and to answer when, that when, question, when did the efforts, be... when did the efforts begin once um, Swedish authorities, the family, um, his colleagues in Budapest realized that he was a prisoner? What efforts initially took place 
to try to con get contact with him and attempt to free him from Moscow. Unfortunately, they didn't understand, at least not the, the, the Swedish government uh, and not enough uh, of his uh, uh, collaborators or colleagues in Budapest either, that he was a prisoner. And that is due to uh, the huge Soviet disinformation campaign that took, uh, took off quite soon after his arrest, like in March 1945. I always say that uh, you can divide rather the whole story, post-war story, on Raoul Wallenberg in two periods. One period is when the, the Russians told the truth about Raoul Wallenberg. And the second part is when they started to lie. Uh, and the first part is about a month or a half, one and a half. And the second part now is long above 70 years because they still lie about what happened during this whole post-war period. So you asked about when they started to act. Uh, of course, the family started to act immediately. But because of this disinformation campaign that was planted, lies were planted in, for example, Hungarian radio stations and at diplomatic uh, parties in Budapest and in uh, other cities already in March 1945, that Raul Wallenberg, in fact, was not taken care of by Russian troops. He had died either during a, a, a rocket attack or during a, a car accident in Budapest. So what happened was, and the, the most unfortunate of all that happened was that the Swedish diplomats returning from Budapest believed that story. And I think that you can say quite safely, and I know from notes taken, that during the spring 1945, this was the uh, informal truth in the corridors of the foreign ministry in Stockholm. And they acted after this uh, conviction that he was dead. And, and they did, and they continued to do, you could say. So this was a, a real clash with the family who needed evidence, of course, and who, who were sure that, uh, no, they didn't think Raoul Wallenberg was dead. And if he was dead, they needed proof, of course. And, and what evidence do we have that he was alive after this period in the earlier part of 1945? Quite strong evidence because of perestroika and uh, the, the sudden openness in, uh, in uh, Soviet Union and later Russia in, uh, in and around the, the fall of uh, Soviet Union. Uh, we know they, they uh, made public, uh, they released a lot of earlier secret documentation on, uh, from their uh, authorities, which showed and proved that Raoul Wallenberg had been a prisoner in uh, Soviet in Lubyanka and in Lefortovo prison in Moscow uh, to, for two and a half years. Actually, we knew a lot earlier too. Um, these, uh, when uh, German prisoners of war were set free in the beginning of the 50s or in the middle of the 50s, they, they uh, actually told the, the world that they had met with Raoul Wallenberg in prison. They, uh, Swedish authorities could even interview his prison mate 
uh, at one time. So uh, Sweden gathered a lot of evidence uh, in the middle of the fifties uh, uh, and demanded for the first time that Raoul Wallenberg, several years after his disappearance, demanded for the first time in the fifties that Raoul Wallenberg should be let free, sent back to Sweden. But what the Soviet Union did in that, uh, uh, to, uh, they answered this uh, demand from Sweden in, uh, with a, a lie. They told Sweden that, uh, um, they had earlier told Sweden that uh, Raoul Wallenberg had never been in Soviet Union. He died in, in Budapest. Now they changed the lie into claiming that Raoul Wallenberg died a natural death, death in uh, Moscow in his prison cell in 1947. And uh, that's so important to know uh, when we start uh, reflecting on uh, what evidence we have today of his destiny, that this lie is actually still the official uh, Russian line on in the Raoul Wallenberg ca case, that he died a natural death in his prison cell the 17th of July, 1947. Were the Americans at all involved in attempting to find the whereabouts, the speaking with the Russians, negotiating with the Russians regarding Wallenberg? They wanted, uh, they sent uh, letters to the Swedish foreign ministry uh, and communicated also, as I remember it, with the, the uh, ambassador, you can say, in, in uh, Moscow, Swedish ambassador in Moscow. But they, uh, Sweden didn't want that help, which was actually at that moment, 1945, quite intelligent because of these uh, Cold War feelings. I don't think uh, an American initiative in that period would have helped Raoul Wallenberg. Um, so it, it, your, your guess is that Wallenberg lived until when? I, I mean, any conjecture whatsoever? I'm quite sure for several reasons that he didn't die a natural death in uh, um, this, his prison cell uh, in 1947, July 1947. Uh, and the funny thing is that uh, even... Russian authorities are not convinced that he died that day, uh, even uh, because in a few years ago, or now more than a few years ago, 2009, suddenly uh, a, a, a chief investigator in the Russian uh, FSB archive uh, claimed in an answer to American researchers that he was convinced that a prisoner that was interrogated under a pseudonym or an anonymous uh, name, prisoner number seven, the, a few days after Raoul Wallenberg's official death date, that this prisoner number seven was Raoul Wallenberg. They said that most probably this was Raoul Wallenberg. Uh, so with that, and there are a lot of hints that, that uh, of course, uh, that he didn't die a natural death. You can follow the, the notes in those earlier uh, released document, documents from Russian archives. You could follow the internal notes by um, 
in, from the foreign ministry uh, from the 50s when they had to come up with a new lie. Uh, and they said to, to, then they claimed, finally they claimed that he died by heart attack. Uh, but in the notes before, they were coming up with several diseases that he that they could maybe say that he died from pneumonia, maybe, or maybe something else. So they didn't know what he died of in this natural death. Uh, so it wasn't natural, of course. Uh, uh, and the, to me, though, it seems quite uh, unrealistic to think that he lived until the 70s. That is has been claimed throughout the years that he was alive in 72 or he was alive in 78 even. I think he died quite close to the, the official death date, but he lived on for a while. Maybe half a year, maybe a few months, I don't know. He wasn't alive, I think, in the beginning of the 50s. The, the initial arrest and, and the early years in prison, was this all under the direct orders of Stalin? Was Stalin involved in this decision? He was uh, several times, not all, all, always, of course, but uh, Raoul Wallenberg was, even be- before uh, uh, 47 and before they claimed that, uh, before the, the Russian government claimed that they had never heard about Raoul Wallenberg and that he's, he was not on, on uh, Soviet territory, uh, Raoul Wallenberg was, in fact, a case on Politburo level in um, uh, Soviet Union. So, uh, and uh, Stalin was involved. He was involved in his arrest, for example. Uh, I recall reading in, in, um, I believe it was the book by Per Anger, who was a colleague of Raoul Wallenberg, and he estimated... The one colleague, the one colleague who refused to believe that he was dead. Really? Okay. Okay. Well, I, I, I believe if I'm if I'm not, if I remember correctly that he 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 makes the claim that between the Jews that were hiding and the deportations that Wallenberg stopped, that that one should credit Wallenberg with saving up to a hundred thousand Hungarian Jews. Is is that is is that something that you would agree with? Uh, it depends on how you define save and uh, okay. how you define Wallenberg's role in it. Okay. Uh, I normally say that uh, because, as I, I told you, it was a collective work. Absolutely. So if you count uh, all the actions that his uh, impressive organization uh, even had its own security police with patrols going out 24 hours a day on uh, uh, alarms, uh, so with all this impressive uh, organization, with the houses that he built in the, the special international ghetto that he managed to, to, um, uh, to, to uh, what do you say, negotiate. He negotiated with the other neutral diplomats to have a special international ghetto with Swiss houses and Swedish houses. He had over more than 30 houses. He supported more than 10,000 people with food daily. So uh, normally I would say that his organization saved around 30,000 maybe uh, Jews. If you, with this higher uh, figure, uh, is more difficult uh, because 
it then you have to take into account the the saving of the central ghetto. And suddenly you jump up to 100,000 pers- uh, Hungarian Jews saved by Wallenberg if you count the, the rescue of the central ghetto as uh, something that Raoul Wallenberg was responsible for. But at that time, he was already dealing with the Russians or even arrested. So um, uh, what happened was that the, the German general who uh, suddenly gave the order that the international ghetto should not be uh, attacked uh, was threatened with the name of Raoul Wallenberg. That if, uh, so even his name was enough to save people mm. in the end, so you could say, but he wasn't the man saving the central ghetto. Yeah. As you have met survivors of the war, who were in contact with Wallenberg, daily contact, any kind of contact with Wallenberg. What is the common um, thought, the impression that they had of Wallenberg, the person? What's common to their narrative about Wallenberg? Uh, He spoke a lot. He had a peculiar American accent in his uh, uh, German language. He was uh, uh, energetic, extremely energetic, uh, uh, and uh, uh, always working, high tempo, courageous. Uh, He demanded a lot from his co-workers, and he never gave up. He always said that that he always wanted a a next try. so, uh, yes. As you speak um, about Raul Wallenberg and, and what he did in Budapest and what happened to him, what, what's the message that you try to convey, especially to young people? Why should young people study the life of Raul Wallenberg? Oh, for several reasons, of course, and I think it becomes more and more uh, uh, a more and more important uh, role model to study in depth because we, we are now uh, seeing the world transforming into something that actually reminds us of uh, the environment where Raoul Wallenberg was active. And I think what he would turn, uh, what, what we could learn from his uh, example is, of course, that in similar crisis of uh, uh, exceptional intolerance and xenophobia, we cannot just uh, stand beside, uh, we cannot just rely even on diplomatic words and beautiful speeches, even not even on beautiful speeches of protest. What is needed is action, organization. Uh, that is one of the lessons from Raoul Wallenberg. But what we also need to, to take with us, I think, is, is uh, his international perspective. What made him do what he did? And important there to me is to, uh, as I have discovered, or as I think, is his international background. That he came back to Stockholm in, uh, 19, in the 1930s with another perspective on the world. He didn't divide the world into us and them. He didn't see the Jewish refugees coming to Sweden, for example, as 
them. To him, they were working together. All his uh, collaborators in his business life before Budapest 1944 were Jewish refugees. So he attacked this new situation in Budapest with a, a total lack of us and them perspective. So if when you confront evil in the way that Raoul Wallenberg did, you have to keep, to think of the world, to think of humanity as just a big us. We need to be together, to stand together. That's, that's a lesson. Thank you so, so much. We can go on and on. Again, I urge all our viewers and listeners, as I did, to go online um, and purchase the book. It's, it's a page turner. Um, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's not a hard book to read in terms of going through the book, but it, it, it leaves a, a certain sadness. Um, you know, the what if, what if this had happened? What if that had happened? And, and it, really it's, it really is a, um, the authoritative book on Raul Wallenberg today. And uh, Ms. Kohlberg, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. I can reveal that, that it was heartbreaking to, to write it as well.